Amen. Well, if you got your Bibles open up to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. This morning we are wrapping up our series on As the Day Approaches. And today we're talking exactly about what we've been singing about, and that is the return of the King. So Matthew chapter 24, we're going to begin in verse 29 today. But so far we've been talking about the signs of the times. In fact, we've been talking about what it is that he has been preparing us for. And so in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Matthew 24, and we talked about the beginning of sorrows. And the beginning of sorrows were many false Christs and persecution of believers and natural disasters and all kinds of devastating things. And, and really it kind of included a lot of the seal judgments that were broken in the book of Revelation and the trumpet judgments that were played. And then we moved into last week's message about the abomination of desolation and the perils to come that were referred to as the bold judgments in the book of Revelation. And today we come to the culmination of all of it. All of these signs, everything that we've been looking at begins to point to this one final sign, and that is the return of the king. And oh, what a day that's going to be. Well, tonight, today, this, we want to look at three elements, three final elements in the last days. We're going to begin first with the final signs. Look at me in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 29, as we read through to verse 31. It says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So we begin with the first of the final signs, and that is the sign in the heavens. Now you need to understand the word heaven actually has three references in Scripture. So you need to understand this because there are actually three times the word heaven is used for three different things. First, there is the first heavens, as they call it, which would be the sky, where we look up and we see the clouds and we see the sky. The second heavens referred to in Scripture would be the stellar heavens. In other words, it would be where the other planets and the sun and the moon and the stars and all those are. And then the third heaven that's mentioned in Scripture would be the abode of God, where God dwells in heaven. And so when we talk about the sign in the heavens, this first one, we're talking about the sign that happens in the stellar heavens or what often is referred to as the second heavens. And so when we look at that, we see these magnificent signs happening in verse 29 where it says, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from the heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Now, we've seen these signs already, a partial of these signs throughout the tribulation where a third of the day is taken away, and we see darkness covering over Babylon. But literally what's going to happen at this time is, is it's going to go pitch black all over the world. Nobody is going to see anything. It's just going to become an immense darkness all over the world. Now, this was prophesied all the way back in the book of Isaiah. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 13, verses 6 through 12, it says this, How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. 
And they shall be afraid. Pains and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay hold the land desolate. And he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in its going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I'll punish the world for their evil and the iniquity for their uh, for the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogance of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. In fact, also in Isaiah thirty-four and verse four, some more particular scripture talking about the darkening of that day. But we also saw in the book of Joel these things were pronounced as well. In Joel chapter two, verse one, blow. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. And then in verse 10, 11, it says, The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. We see this several times in Scripture that it's just going to become darkness all over the world. Now, here's the way I look at it. If we were to all of a sudden turn off the lights in the sanctuary, what would happen? Well, of course, it would grow dark. But every one of you would turn around and you would look to see who touched the switch, wouldn't you? It would draw your attention immediately to the switch. You'd immediately look over there and go, all right, who let their kid loose? Who let their kid go over and turn? Because no adult would turn out the lights in the middle of church, right? So they would, everybody would look to the light and they would wonder what's going on. And so all of a sudden, the same thing is happening. God is preparing the world. He's going to create such a massive darkness all over the world. People are going to look to go, what's happened? What's going on? Why is it complete and utter darkness? Why all of a sudden is the sun not shining? Why are the stars not in their place? Why is the moon not out? Why is it utter darkness? Now, here's the thing. It is going to be such darkness that even those who are asleep will be broken out of their stupor. It's going to be such darkness, it's going to be unheard of. It's going to be even, I think it's even going to have a sense of feeling to it. But it is going to be so dim and so dark, it's going to be preparing people for the time. It's kind of like being in a movie theater. Have you ever noticed that when you're at a movie theater, you, you see the previews come on and it gets a little bit darker, but once the previews are over, it gets completely dark. It's almost like it just draws your attention. That's when people finally put their cell phones away, right? After it gets completely dark, they go, okay, I don't want to be exposed. So all of a sudden it gets completely dark to draw your attention to the front of the movie theater. I believe what's happening is God is getting ready to draw people's attention to look up and see what he's about to do. So we see the second sign is the sign in the sky. In the sky. Look at verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Now, it's interesting because there was a lot of speculation about what this sign is. And there was some doctrinal discussion over it's just a sign of the cross, that a lit up cross shines up in the sky. Well, I don't believe that's what it is. I believe the scripture pretty much tells us what the sign is because keep reading. It says, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You want to know what the sign is? It's Jesus. He comes in all of his Shekinah glory. In other words, it's pitch black, and then all of a sudden it's brighter than it's ever been. 
Everybody looks up, and there is the brightness of the Son of God shining vastly in the skies. It says that every single person will see him. There will be no mistake who this is. And the bad thing is, there will be no more time to get right. At that point, it's all over. The culmination, it's done. If you don't know the king, it's too late. Yes, there's going to be a time where every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess, but that's going to be too late because the judgment will have already come. You see, when he comes in the clouds, everybody's going to see him. In other words, there's not going to be any mistake when Jesus comes back. Everybody's going to know that he's here. Everybody's going to see that he's here. Why? Because the heavens are already preparing the way so that everybody stays focused on what they've been looking for, on what we've been waiting for. He is coming. Now, I love it because all throughout Scripture, in both Old and New Testament, There are these signs that are proclaimed all throughout Scripture. In Zechariah chapter 12, beginning in verse 10, he says, And I'll pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And that day shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad Ramon in the valley of Megiddo. Now you say, well, what do you mean by that? Because here's the thing. When they look up and they see that they have missed out on the Messiah all these years. You see, Israel believes that the Messiah is coming as opposed to believing he has already come. And so they will look up on him whom they pierced, whom they put on the cross. And then it will be too late. They'll realize and they'll mourn because they wasted all those years waiting for the Messiah when he had already come. They will be broken over it. In fact, in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, the angels tell the disciples as they see Jesus ascend up into heavens, he says, why look ye up into the heavens? Just as he's gone up, so he shall come back. In other words, he's coming back in the clouds. He tells us numerous times that he's coming back. Isn't it amazing that God is not done with us yet? You know what's interesting in in John chapter 14, and I don't have this in my notes, but I love this this passage in John 14 where he says, and I go and prepare a place for you. you. You realize what he's talking about there. He's using the assessment in old Israel of a bridegroom who what? Who is engaged to the bride, but he's going and he's preparing a place. And what they would do is they would go and they would build a house. They would build a place for their wife to bring them back to. And they didn't get married until they had a place to bring their bride to. So he's preparing a place for his bride, the church. He's going to come back when everything is all said and done. And he's going to take us to the home he's prepared. He's coming back just as he promised. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. You see, there's coming a day where Jesus is going to set his kingdom up here on earth. And he's going to rule and he's going to reign. I don't want to get ahead of myself because we're going to get to that in just a moment. But he's going to rule and he's going to reign in a glorious abode here on earth. But this will not be the final of the story. But you see, when he comes back in the clouds, he's coming back specifically for for one thing. Revelation 19, 
He's coming back, and he's going to be pictured as thus in verse 11. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. You see, when he first comes back, he's coming back for a battle. He's coming back on a horse because he's getting ready to do battle. And he's going to slay those that are in that valley of Armageddon by the words of his mouth. And he's going to destroy the enemy that is coming to destroy his chosen people. He's going to wipe them out. And when he comes back after the war, he's then going to set up an amazing kingdom. But let's look at this last sign, the sign of the angels in verse 31 of Matthew 24. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now here's what you need to understand about this trumpet blast and this gathering. This is the gathering of where God is going to separate the sheep from the goats. This is it. This is the separation that takes place. He's gathering his elect. Why? Because he's sending those who are not his to another place. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells us this a couple of different times. Matthew 13 and verse 41. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. Look over in verse 49 of Matthew chapter 13 as well. And it says, So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. He's going to separate it. At that point, he's going to separate it. For what reason? Not for judgment. Mind you, it's not for judgment at this time. Judgment's going to come later. He's going to separate the two. He's going to send those who do not know him as Lord and Savior. He's going to send them to hell at that time. It's just going to be immediate. You say, wait a minute, why doesn't he judge them? Because he's going to bring them back up to judgment a little bit later. But he's going to send them to hell, and he's going to separate his chosen ones, and he's going to allow them to reign in this world with him for a period of time. When I look at this separation that's taking place, it talks about it several times. Not only Jesus himself talks about it, but Paul also talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 52, he says, In a moment, the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And also 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we studied this not too long ago at night, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Man, what a glorious day that's going to be when he returns. But what a sad day it's going to be for many. For those who don't know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, it's not going to be a glorious day for them. So as Christians, what does that mean for us? we got to help them get ready. we got to get out there and we got to share the gospel with them because here's the thing. God wants to see all men come to repentance as we talked about in 2 Peter. And we've got to do our part so that when the angels are separating, they don't have to do a whole lot of separating. Let's look secondly at the millennial kingdom. Look with me in Revelation 20. Because this is what takes place after the destruction, after the defeat of the enemy. Revelation 20, we're going to begin in verse 4. He says, And I saw thrones, 
And they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now I know there are many trains of thought today about the millennial kingdom. There are pre-millennial, there's amillennial, and there's post-millennial. And a lot of people wonder, well, what do these things mean? Well, if you're a post-millennialist, you believe we're already in the millennial kingdom. The sad thought about that is, I don't see Jesus reigning right now. How about you? That's kind of sad. I mean, he literally is going to reign in this world. He literally is going to sit on a throne in Israel, and he's going to rule and reign. He's not there, so I don't know how you can believe that. You can be a millennial, which says, well, it's just going to be a, a shortened period of time. Christ is going to reign for a short period of time. A thousand years, that's just kind of thrown out there as a figurative an idea, and it, it's not really real. Well, I believe for him to say it over and over and over again, it's real. It's going to happen. He's going to reign for a thousand years. He's going to come in this world, and he's going to rule, and he's going to reign, and he's going to do amazing things during that time. In fact, those things that are going to take place, we're going to see that the curse will seem to be removed at that time, there's so many great scriptures throughout the Old Testament that kind of share these things and these thoughts with us. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 7 to 9, And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. I don't see any of that happening right now. How about you? But there's coming a day. In verse 8, And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the winged child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Oh, what a glorious day it's going to be. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 23 and 24. Then shall he give the rain of thy seed, that thou shalt sow the ground withal, and bread and increase to the earth, and it shall be fat and plenteous, and that day shall the cattle feed in large pastures. The oxen likewise, and the young asses, the ear of the ground, shall eat clean provender, and they hath winnowed with a shovel and with the fan. In other words, there's coming a day where we won't have to fear. Don't, don't you remember the day when you could let your kids go outside the house and you didn't have to fear? You didn't have to worry about locking your doors. You didn't have to worry about your kids being kidnapped. You didn't have to worry about your kids being hurt by wild animals and things like that. There's coming a day where all these things are going to take place and it'll get back to a time where there's one protecting us and there'll be no fear of anything going on. There's not only that, but there'll be plenty of food. Isn't that amazing to think about? There'll be no starvation in the millennial kingdom, for he will provide the crops all over the world. People will be fed. They will not do without. Joel chapter 2 even talks about that. He's going to restore what the locusts tore away. You see, food will be plenteous. The curse will be gone. And there will be such spiritual and physical health like we've never seen before. We won't need a health care plan We'll have the greatest health care plan it's ever been. It'll be the reign of the Messiah. Listen to Isaiah 33 and verse 24. And the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. Sickness will be done away with as well as the forgiveness 
for all of our sin. Isn't it amazing what a day that's going to be? Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 says this, And the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap, and as a heart, the tongue of the dumb sing, and in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. In other words, everything that seemed to be dead and rotten and tore apart, it will be made brand new. What a day! And that's going to be here in this world, but only for a time. But I also like this, Isaiah 65, 20. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner shall being a hundred years old shall be accursed. Isn't it amazing that will even be long life in the millennial reign? It's going to be a glorious day. But can I tell you something? That's not the end. That's not the end game. The millennial reign is going to be glorious and it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be amazing. And praise be to God to those who ascend to what they call the first resurrection. Please understand the first resurrection is for you and I, those that have died and gone on before the Lord, we will be raised up and given our glorious body at that time. That's the first resurrection. Those who are sinful, those who are wicked, will not be raised up in the first resurrection. They will come to the second one, and the second resurrection will be that of judgment upon them. And that's where we come to this last stage, the great white throne. Look with me in Revelation 20, beginning of verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in a lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You say, what's the point? Well, here's the point. Every man will be judged before God. Every man. Now, here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you will not stand before the great white throne judgment. Your judgment will happen at what they call the Bema Seat or the Judgment Seat of Christ, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9-11. through 11. That's where you will be judged. And you will judge based on the works that you did, the things that you did for the Lord and the things that you did not do for the Lord. But those who are not Christians, those who do not know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, they will be resurrected, they will be brought before the great white throne judgment, and the books will be opened. Now here's the thing, you need to understand something. God doesn't need a book to know if your name's in it. He doesn't have to open up books to see if your name's there because he knows you personally. He was the one who wrote your name in the book in the first place, and he knows you by name. He knows everything about you. So he opens up the books just to show them that, guess what? They're not in there. They're not in there. And what does that mean for them? Oh, it means something I hope does not happen to any one of you in here today. Because it is at that point he will look at them and he'll say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Can you imagine what that will feel like? Oh, but Lord, didn't we, and there'll be some, didn't we, didn't we serve you? Didn't we teach for you? Didn't we cast out demons for you? 
And yet to some of them, he'll still say, depart from me, for I never knew you. I want you to see something in verse 13. It says, the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So often we, we talk about hell, and we talk about the permanence of hell, but you need to understand even hell is going to be cast into the lake of fire. Now, it's interesting because a lot of people look at that and they say, well, wait a minute, you know, are you telling me that they're going to burn up? No, they're not. They're, I don't believe in what's called annihilationism. Because the Bible says that what they're going to receive, and here's the thing, everybody is going to live forever. You need to understand that. Please grasp that today. You're going to live forever. You're just going to live forever in one of two places. Because the Bible describes it, doesn't ever describe it as everlasting life for those that don't know Jesus Christ. It describes it as everlasting destruction, everlasting damnation, and everlasting punishment. We need to understand, a lot of people say, well, you know, if I don't know God, it's not a big deal. I just, I just won't exist any longer. No, that's not true. You'll exist forever. You'll just burn forever. It's not a place you want to go to. It is not a place where there's going to be parties. It is not a place where you want to go and meet your friends. It is not a place of celebration. And it certainly is not a place called life. He says that they're going to be cast into them. Because look at verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. A lot of people ask me, so why are you so passionate in telling people their need for Jesus? Here's why. Here's why. Somebody says, oh, well, you know, I, I try to use this philosophy. If I'm wrong, what does it hurt? If they're wrong, what does it hurt? Well, let me just explain that philosophy is a horrible philosophy. I'm not wrong. I've never been wrong on this instance. The Bible's not wrong. I don't have to look at them and say, I could possibly be wrong. I'm not possibly wrong at all on this. I know where I'm going. And if they're wrong, and they are wrong, they're going to spend an eternity in hell, and they better climb over my body trying to get there. The truth of the matter is, is it's a real place. It's not playful. It's not something interesting. It's not something you should long for. It is something that you should thank God that he took your place so that you don't have to go there. These things are going to happen, and we have to be ready. And not only do we need to be ready, we need to be helping others get ready as well. Man, if you know somebody that knows Jesus Christ, Man, do whatever it takes to tell them about him. You say, well, I might lose my job. Who cares? Lose your job for Jesus. He'll provide you another one. But we've got to get serious about this because there is a real place that people are going to go to in the end. If Jesus does return, and I'm here to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you for a moment. I'm praying he doesn't come back just yet because I got one. Because I got one I want to see get saved for he comes back. I pray. I'm telling you. And I'm desperate to see them get saved. And I'm begging Jesus, don't come just yet because I don't want him to go through seven years of hell on earth. And if you've got one, 
then we got a job to do. And we got work to do until he comes back. And we need to pray that he stays until we're ready. But if he does come back, and that's all up to him, that's completely up to him, and his timing is perfect, and I know he knows what he's doing. I'll pray that one through those seven years. I'll pray that if God chooses to come back before that happens, he'll take care of us. That's all I can pray for. But until that day, I won't stop. And I hope you won't either. We got a job to do. He's on his way, and we got to get ready. Don't waste any more time. It's time for us to stop wasting time and start getting out there and beating the pavement and pleading with people to know Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, I make us ready, Lord.